Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. And hello, I'm Catherine. And we're the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. We're delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. Today, we're delighted to bring you Diane Michaels, who is 76, lives in the Chicago area, and is an HR practitioner with 20 years of experience. Prior to launching Possibility Partners, which is her own firm, Diane was the Chief Possibility Officer with YWCA Metropolitan Chicago, where she was able to create a culture of Everybody Matters. Possibility Partner Conversations, which replaced annual performance reviews, were instrumental in that cultural shift. Over the years, she has been engaged as both an employee and as a consultant with numerous organizations in both for-profit and not-for-profit sectors. Diane began her career in customer service and operations management with Deluxe Check. She received her BA from DePaul's School for New Learning and subsequently completed a mediation training program at DePaul. Diane is passionate that work should be a gift of participation, contribution, and self-expression versus a burden to survive until retirement. So Diane, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. And let's start our conversation there. I'd love to know what you can tell us about people who consider work a burden to survive until retirement. What what types of environments are they in? Well, I have to preface this, uh, Gail and Catherine, with it's, of course, a wide range. But I would say, overall, the premise is getting the work done as efficiently, cost-effectively, productively as possible, optimizing revenues and profits, which is, of course, something that is really essential to any business being able to thrive and, you know, uh, expand and continue to be uh, in business. But I think people in those environments are kind of overlooked, shall we say, in terms of this idea of unleashing purpose, power, and potential. And I think in many of these environments, and it's been my firsthand experience in some of them, people were going around being polite, pleasant, also sometimes pretending that things were okay, sometimes not being their authentic selves, and being careful about uh, not making certain people Uh, those perceived to be in power and authority mad, and they were focused on getting their manager's approval versus really focused on unleashing their purpose, power, and potential in these possibility partner relationships. And I would say that in many of these environments, the customers were very, very important, but the employees were secondary. And Richard Branson is 
somebody who said, and I'm paraphrasing, that if you take care of your employees, they will take care of your customers. And I really, uh, of, of course, am in total agreement with that premise. So I think what's severely missing in most work environments is this idea of, yes, results matter, but people are at the heart of it. And that it's not just the conditions to support people unleashing their potential, it's also the mindsets. And I think there are a lot of fixed mindsets in the work world about, you know, people proving themselves and earning trust and respect versus presuming uh, trust and respect and uh, supporting people unleashing uh, as opposed to to getting approval. So I, I really think there is an opportunity in the workplace to really create a new reality for people that uh, really does release them from this idea of work is something I have to do and it, I'm being responsible. And then after 30 or 40 years of suffering through it, I can start enjoying life. And a lot of people bring that mindset to the workplace. A lot of people don't expect more than that. And I think that uh, people are really selling themselves short to not expect uh, much more possibilities as it relates to work. And it really can be the gift that I'm committed to it being in terms of participating, contributing, and self-expressing. You know, I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking that here we are in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, at the height of it in Chicago, actually, where we are. And, and I, do you think that this, this crisis is going to change how employers think and employees think about work? Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> I, I actually think human resources practitioners and professionals have an opportunity to really become more strategic and more of a business advisor in the world of business and actually elevate the uh, human resources function in terms of the impact it can have and the possibilities it can provide and the real contributions to the overall health and well-being, not only of the employees and the people in the workplace, but also the business overall. And I think um, I'm, I'm seeing kind of two different reactions to this coronavirus, you know, quarantine that we're experiencing. Some people are really using it to reevaluate their values and their lives and what do they really want their lives to be about and what do they really value and what's possible. And then other people are just kind of counting the days until we get back to however life was before and having all the distractions and all the things that we were so busy with. So I do think there is a real opportunity at this time to really think about kind of a work reset and also kind of a reset on life in terms of, well, what would be possible in the workplace? And from my perspective, uh, I call myself a human resources futurist. I'm also uh, a 
a human resources artist of possibility and I look at the workplace as sort of my canvas of where amazing possibilities can be created when certain conditions are in place for that to happen. So I'm very hopeful that this time out, I see it kind of as a time out that we're experiencing and what we do with it I think is going to have a big impact on what our lives are like after this, um, we get past this. And I do think we have an opportunity to co-create it. And I'm kind of looking at it like, you know, people, certain people pay thousands of dollars to go on multi-week retreats where they really do a lot of, you know, spiritual exploration and uh, a re- look at their lives. And I kind of think, uh, not to make light of this, but it's like, um, that's kind of how I'm treating this as um, my own retreat in terms of really evaluating what I want to contribute to the future and my participation in that. And I hope everyone is looking at it uh, that way. Have you, can you share any thoughts with us about that? Have you, have you come up with anything? for yourself or for others? I would say it has reinforced maybe my commitment, my intention, and the idea that we all have something to contribute. Uh, you know, one of the basic tenets of the Unitarian Church is believing in the inherent worth and dignity of every individual. So my sort of renewed intention is to really be able to go into workplaces and bring uh, the unleashing uh, purpose, power, and potential concept to the workplace, along with a very practical, very grounded, very uh, specific set of conditions and best practices that HR can provide. And in possibility partner workplaces, I'm, I'm talking about workplaces where um, it's really a way of being, believing, and doing that ignites conversation, collaboration, creativity, and community in unleashing our purpose, power, and potential to actualize new possibilities and partnerships in the world for the greater good. And I realize there are a lot of people who think that is just like way out there, not interested, whatever. My mission isn't to change people's minds. My mission is to speak clearly enough that for those people for whom this message resonates, we'll be able to come together and as HR practitioners and as employers and business owners, really be able to come together and together be able to realize this possibility in workplaces. So I'm working very, um, I would say industriously and focused on really getting my website up and putting all of the pieces together that actually we did at the YWCA Metropolitan Chicago for three and a half years. This really has been happening, and I just want to now take it on a broader perspective, on a, a broader spectrum. And I would say that uh, Dory McWhorter, who is the CEO of the YWCA Metropolitan Chicago, really is kind of uh, that ideal leader 
in that I didn't really have a boss. I had a possibility partner and the sky was the limit and the possibilities were infinite. And um, I really, there was mutual trust and respect and we had this trusted business advisor and strategic human resources function that enabled us to build for the future versus treading water in the present, which is what I think too many HR functions are about. You know, the legal compliance and the uh, employee uh, issues that, you know, where there are breakdowns in relationship and uh, handbooks that are up to date. And those are, I'm not saying those aren't important elements, but that's not what's really going to take your business to the next level in my mind. Diane, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, this is so fascinating to me. When you, you mentioned the Unitarian Church and valuing the dignity of each person, and then I think you've been talking about in the workplace sort of honoring and valuing the human spirit. And so do you think of your work in with organizations uh, as bringing in an aspect of spirituality, not not religion, of course, but a, a sense of uh, honoring the spirit of the employees. Does spirituality play a role? I hesitate to word, use the word spirituality, but in a word, yes. But I think of it more as the holistic person, body, mind, and spirit. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, um, and, and I will uh, admit to a bias here, absolutely. When I talk about unleashing purpose, power, and potential, I really am speaking more about the purpose, power, and potential of women, although I certainly don't exclude men. But I feel like we've been in male-defined, male values mm -hmm. organizations forever. And at the YWCA, it was 90% female, uh, over 50% uh, uh women of color, and it was an incredibly new experience for me. And I feel like there was a holisticness. And um, I just heard Madeline Albright on Sunday talking about the leadership of women. And she was asked, you know, do you think women need to lead more like men? And her response was, no, I don't. I think women bring their talents to the table and support, and we need that. And she acknowledged that she thinks women actually, overall, again, not there certainly are phenomenally strong men listeners, but women overall, because they've had to do more multitasking, they have peripheral vision, they had to really kind of be very cooperative and very effective in getting into responsibilities of leadership over the years. So they have had to listen maybe more uh, strong, more consistently. So I really feel like um, while, uh, yes, I, I, I think we are talking about bringing our whole selves to work, being authentic in what that is, and having a bigger palette for how that looks in the work world. And uh, I, I can tell you a brief story that I've actually forgotten about until you asked this very question, Catherine. When I was with Deluxe Check, I was actually with a company that they acquired and then went to the headquarters in Minneapolis. And it was so corporate. And I had been in this family-owned business that was more entrepreneurial. And 
I was so unprepared for the corporate culture, and it was male-defined, and they were wonderful people. I mean, Deluxe Check had some of the most caring, kind, uh, competent people working in the, corp in the corporation, but it was still corporate culture. I did not fit in, and I ultimately left after, after having worked at the company for like 15 years, become their first female, not deluxe, but the company they acquired, first female vice president. I left after six months because I didn't fit in. Mm. So I do think there's a, a, an opportunity to expand the palette for what we value and what we encourage and support in the workplace. Thank mm. you. That, that kind of brings me to the other question I was had in mind, and that is about the what you did uh, at the YMCA of creating a culture of everybody. YWCA. <laughs> YWCA. I'm sorry. What did Thank I you. say? Thank you. That's okay. People do that all the time. Um, <laughs> I think it's the song. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> um, so it about creating this kind of corporate culture, and what is your experience? It, it, it sounds like it really needs to permeate all levels, all aspects of the organization. So kind of where do you start? How do you start to bring an organization around to this, this mindset? Oh, that's so fascinating, Catherine. And again, I'm speaking from my own experience, so I'm not saying it's the only way, but it is the way that I found it really worked. And that is first and foremost, the CEO and myself as the chief human resources officer were in total alignment on the vision for HR. So I spent three and a half years recommending initiatives and plans that I would create for like 18 months out. And then it would be, you know, every three months, this is the focus kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we, I never had to spend any time convincing her. I just needed to be clear enough about what the focus and the intentions were and how I planned to actually fulfill on these initiatives and have her buy-in. And it was just, I, it was a, um, it was, it was an opportunity to share the vision as opposed to trying to convince someone of the value of what you were contributing. She got it. So that to me is first and foremost. And if, as if the HR uh, person does not have that alignment or that um, mindset that can really see those, those uh, possibilities, I'm really pretty clear cut about, you know, finding a CEO or a leader who, who gets it because otherwise you have to spend too much time uh, validating what you want to do rather than spending your time making it happen. The second thing was I did have the partnership of the executive team and their um, support. And then, and, and the, so it was the CEO and the alignment and then it was really the leadership, and it was the the, the mid-level leadership. And one of the first things I did is I, I called a meeting with all of them, and I said, tell me what you love about your annual performance review process. And to a person, they unloaded all the things they hated about it. And there wasn't one thing. And I said, okay let me create something and let's get back together. And so I, I really did launch this workplace 
shift with the possibility partner conversations, which were so simple in the concept, but such a shift because it was essentially meeting every week or every two weeks for maybe 15 minutes, 30 minutes. And it would start with, how are you really? What are the uh, results that we can celebrate since the last time we met? What are you working on? What obstacles do I need to support you in getting out of your way? What else do you need? And what do you intend to have happen between now and the next time we meet? And um, what, prompt, what do you need from me? And that was it. And, you know, I had people initially saying, like uh, the managers were saying, well, I can't meet with my one-on-one -on -one with each of my team members every week. And it was like, if you meet every week or every other week, it doesn't take that long because it's like you're in an ongoing conversation. Mm -hmm. And then I had employees who said, I don't want to meet with my manager every week or every other week. <laughs> Ooh, I try to avoid them. And I'm like, well, that's a problem. Because that person is going to affect your future here more than anyone else. You know that old saying, people come to work for you because of the work and they leave because of the manager. It's so true. And so I would say, so it was really getting this awful annual, by the way, I've yet in all of my years to meet anybody employer or employee who says, Diane, I owe my success to the annual performance review. <laughs> so, so that was really where I started. And, um, and then leadership development and training, you know, that's huge. And in the not-for-profit world, it's one of my passions is you need to invest in people in the not-for-profit world because they're the ones who are delivering the services to mm -hmm. the people who need them so desperately and they're actually changing the world uh the not-for-profit people are actually changing the world in terms of the services they offer and so i think there's i think there's a huge missing in the not-for-profit world in terms of setting aside dollars specifically for the development of people and your leadership is key in terms of their attitudes their uh you know uh providing mutual trust and respect and open conversations and not getting offended or taking it personally if someone says something you take offense with i mean that's i think it's so critical so the other uh, place of course is communication the uh and having uh, as much transparency and here's one of my pet peeves about hr you know people will come to you and say oh i have this you know I want to say this, but I don't know how to say it, and I'm afraid my boss is going to get upset or whatever, And I'm, but I'm really offended by what happened. And a lot of times, HR will go talk to that person. And I, I feel like when somebody comes to HR with a complaint about a relationship, HR can do one of three things. You can say, let's role play and let's have you practice what you want to say so you can go to that person and speak directly and have a, a direct conversation with one another. Or I can mediate a conversation with the three, two of you so that, you know, you can be heard and they can be heard and we can try to reach some resolution. Or you can just, you know, 
suck it up and live with it. But what won't work is for me to go talk to that person because now they're going to be mad at you because you didn't come to them. And it's like you told on them. And now it's like mom coming in to resolve the problem. And it doesn't build people's ability to resolve problems in effective communications. And I think that's one of the biggest skills missing in the workplace. <laughs> you are so right. As a, as a longtime business coach myself and business owner, uh, you have hit all of the passion spots that, that uh, make a difference in whether a, a business survives or not or is sustainable or has long-term success. And uh, I just love you are so passionate about this, Diane. I just love it. Well, thank you. Gail, you bring up an interesting point about businesses, and I, I've just kind of come to this realization lately. It seems to me, and I would love your uh, insights on this, there are a lot of businesses that are lifestyle businesses. Like they're just supporting the lifestyles of the business owners and the executives uh, in place. And they're having a great lifestyle and they're really good. They're serious about their business and all of that. But it really is more about supporting lifestyles than it is about the growth and development and the unleashing of people's potential purpose and, and power. And I feel like it's kind of missing what's really possible because Bob Chapman, who wrote the book, Everybody Matters, and in his book, he acknowledged his employees and he said, thank you for allowing me to see that how I lead profoundly impacts how you live. And his premise is if his people are well-treated, not just well-treated, but developed at work. They're going to go out and be better spouses, parents, neighbors, community members, and world citizens. So I feel like the workplace is somewhere that we can really create a new, uh, a new reality for the world. And I don't mean to speak grandiose. This isn't grandiose. It's really about all of us together creating yes. something beyond where we are. Yes, absolutely. And uh, of course, as you, as you noted, everyone, every business has a different purpose. And, uh, but I think you've just got a great opportunity here with your passion and your, and your beliefs to start right now to, to uh, bring together the people who are are uh, of the same mindset that you are in to start doing your work. You know, I noticed that uh, you had said to me, I remember that you had said to me that retirement is an outdated concept if, you, if you're doing work as a gift. And here you are at 76, just starting this whole new possibility for yourself. And uh, talk a little bit more about why, why you said that. Well, it's really interesting because I, I feel like um, I spent the first 50 years of my life proving myself and, uh, you know, uh, achieving and, uh, you know, uh, getting the approval of others. And uh, I feel like finally after that time, I've just been sort of coming into my own in terms of it's really about uh, expressing ourselves and contributing our gifts. And I, I, um, I feel like 
categorizing people by age just seems like a ridiculous way to sort people out. Like I think some people are really old in terms of setting their ways at 20 and some people are never old. And I look at people like, you know, Jane Goodall, she's 86 years old and she's still out there doing her work. Madeline Albright, age 82. She just released a new book, Cal and Other Destinations. Look at Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg, age 87. And so on one hand, I say, well, people who have these age ideas, that's their business. And somebody once said, you know, what others think of me is none of my business. And I think that's really <laughs> true. And so I, I feel like, yes, aging will affect me in terms of my health and my overall, you know, mobility. But I think age is so much an attitude and what we expect. And I, I just feel like, I'm finally finding my voice and I, I hope I get a few more years, but I also realize that, you know, life could be over tomorrow for any of us, but you know, those of us who are more on the downside of 50 more so than others. But, you know, I recently went on a diet because uh, I've always, I'd always been thin most of my life, but I, so I thought of myself still as thin, but I went on a diet to lose 34 pounds. So, you know, I wasn't thin. And, and this program has been incredible because it's taught me so much about, first of all, I have a coach. Secondly, they have all these incredible food products that are just perfectly worked out. It was created by a medical practice in South Dakota. And so the food is perfect. And then, it's like you have this website and you have this account and you have this scale and you weigh yourself and you track your progress. And what I realized, this diet plan is exactly what I'm talking about for the workplace. So I brought an attitude to it and a commitment, but they provided the conditions, including, you know, the technology, the coaching, and the coach is phenomenal. And this is what I think leaders could do. She is supportive, encouraging, and insightful without diminishing my sense of choice, agency, and ownership for results. And I feel like we could do the HR specifically with alignment, 100% alignment from the CEO, could do that in workplaces that would just change the experience for everyone. Do you, one last question, do you think that aging will impact what you're trying to do in the future? Your own, your, this business you're creating? Uh, I'll be a test case. Because <laughs> I think my attitude will matter a lot. And I just simply, it, yes, are there lots of people out there who have specific mindsets about what's appropriate at what age? Absolutely. They're not my audience. I simply will, you know, keep, looking for and speaking in a way that hopefully the audience that uh, this resonates for will um, join me. And um, I think the only, uh, the only, so I think I would, I could stop myself in terms of my attitude, but I guess no, even if I'm in a wheelchair or somehow not able to get out, 
this uh, virus situation has shown me we can work from anywhere <laughs> with the technology. So I, I, I think we only get in our own way, in a sense, by buying into sort of the, you know, status quo way of looking at things. And you would never look at me and say, oh, yeah, she's a status quo kind of gal. I never have been. So what else is new? <laughs> I think you have a winning combination there, your, your attitude and your possibilities. That's really wonderful. Thanks so much, Diane, for being with us. We, we've enjoyed having you very much. Ladies, I can't thank you enough for what you provide and for this incredible gift that you have given me. And you both are doing such significant work that's making a difference. And I just love you both. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And listeners, we want to hear from you, especially at this time. Take a moment to come into our Facebook group. Let us know what you're doing, how you're spending your time, uh, what's changed for you, what's maybe challenging for you. Share your thoughts at Facebook at Women Over 70. Ask questions, add to the conversation. Tell us what topics you'd like to hear more about and become an active participant in our community. Our goal is always to create a conversation across the generations. You can access our weekly Wednesday podcasts at womenover70.com. And if you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us on our website. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.